morning fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here with us, whether you're in person or you're joining us on the live stream. I wanna welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. My name's Jimmy Cook. I'm the worship pastor for Bay Kids, and I'm excited to be here with you. I wanna, wanna take this moment just to invite you in into God's presence. There's, if you've been reading with us in clarity, you've seen this title, The Songs of Ascent, when you're reading through the Psalms. And those Psalms, scholars believe, were songs that pilgrims would sing as they were preparing their way to go up to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple, to be in his presence, that's where he dwelled. So I wanna read this Psalm as a preparation and an invitation to you. Maybe you're like me and, and every day it seems like there's something new on the news uh, or just talking to friends in, in your personal life, something new that seems like it's gonna shake us, that's gonna uh, just shake us up. And this is a promise from the Psalm 125, and it says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. So I wanna invite you, if you can, would you stand with me wherever you are, and let's sing about his steadfast love.
pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. We thank you that you are good, that you are steadfast, that your love never fails. And uh, God, we give you all the glory and honor this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Hold on, hold on just a second here. Got my, got my pocket ref. I was checking on something. Rule 7-4-2-1. If a player who is currently carrying the ball does in fact throw the ball behind them, it is ruled as a fumble. Just, just wanted to make sure that was, that was accurate because... Uh, it was a dark night at the Robinson house last night, but the sun did rise, and we must move on, but it was a sad and dark night at the Robinson house. So uh, welcome to church. My name is Finley Robinson. I'm on the community team. Thanks so much for joining us here. Hey, I wanted to share three quick one-minute stories about kind of what's going on in community right now uh, that's, that's kind of taken place, and so story number one. Uh, this week, Clark Nolan had breakfast uh, with his friend Sean, and Sean and his family had recently moved out west. Uh, they'd taken a new job, and so they moved out west, and they'd come back here just to visit some friends and some family, and Clark and Sean were having breakfast at Village Inn. While they were having breakfast, uh, this group of, of young men walk into Village Inn, and they come over, and they're talking to Sean and to Clark, and, and Sean recognizes one of these guys as his son's small group leader. And so he says, hey, are you guys having cell group this week? And the young man turns to him and goes, actually, we're not scheduled to have cell group this week. That's what we call our, our, our small groups for students. And we're not scheduled to have cell group this week, but let me see what I can do. And so he, he calls the host home, and he calls the guys that are part of his cell group and says, hey, I don't know if you know this, but Stone is in town, and so can we have cell group this week? I know we're not supposed to, but he's in town, and we don't get to see him. We'd love to have cell group, and so they had cell group, even though they weren't supposed to, because this young man was visiting from out of town. Great job, student ministry. I love that initiative. I love them willing to just get out and kind of say, let's have cell group anyway. Story number two. About a week and a half ago, I was having coffee with a guy. And uh, I was kind of hearing his story, and, and I found out that, that he had moved here mid-summer to take a research position at the University of Arkansas. And said, so, so you moved kind of mid-pandemic to work at a university? He said, yes. I said, well, tell me about your family. He says, well, I have a, I have a one-year-old daughter, and uh, my wife is pregnant as well. And I said, so you moved to a new town where you don't know anyone to take a job at university mid-pandemic? He goes, yeah. I said, you don't know anybody? I said, okay. I asked him, I said, so, so tell me about church. He goes, well, someone that I knew back in Texas told me that we should check out fellowship. I said, well, great, well, what do you think? He said, well, we've only been to church online. Like, you've never even come to our church? He goes, no, but we've been watching you guys online, and I just wanted to know how we could get involved in community. I said, man, dude, thanks so much for taking initiative and reaching out and saying, hey, how can we get involved? So as a church, we've got a person who's never actually set foot in this building. We're gonna try to get them connected with the community group because they don't know anyone. And his wife's gonna have a baby next month. And this is what the church does. And so just the initiative that he took to try to get involved in our church. Story number three. Uh, we've got a group of young adults that for the past couple years have kind of uh, been meeting together. They were led by some, some older adults for a while, but they've been leading themselves for a while. And when we laid out our vision kind of early September and said, hey, here's what we think community can look like in the context of this season. We said our groups need to be small, of 10 or less. They need to kind of meet in neighborhoods. And hey, you guys need to be serving each other. And so they took the opportunity as a community group. They said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We have a large community group. We're gonna break up into three smaller groups we're going to meet by our neighborhoods. We're going to invite some friends who otherwise wouldn't be coming. And so they get together on Sundays, and they watch church online, and they work through our discussion guide as a community group. And it's incredible to see the initiative that they've been taking. And so stuff is happening in community right now. And so if you need a place to, to belong, uh, to grow in the Lord, please let us know. If you've got a community group that you haven't connected with in a while, pick up the phone and give them a call. 
it's not too late. Check on them, see how they're doing, see how you guys can kind of reconnect. And so we hope that this church continues to be a place where people can come and belong and grow and serve in our body. And so uh, with that being said, we're gonna, we're gonna continue teaching from 1 Thessalonians chapter three. Garland's teaching us this morning, but just a heads up, Next week, we're going to be teaching from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, and we're going to be talking about kind of the sexual ethic within that church. And so, parents, we just kind of want to give you a heads up. If you're bringing your kids, you might read through that. We're not saying don't bring them, but just wanted you guys to have a heads up that that's going to be kind of our topic next week, and then we're also going to have a panel to follow it up Sunday afternoon that will be here and online, so we'll be looking for more information this week kind of via our different channels. And so um, thanks for coming. We're excited that you're here. I'm gonna pray for us, and we're gonna continue to worship this morning. Heavenly Father, thanks for this church. Thanks for the people. It's not this building, but it's the people who make up this place. And so this morning as we're talking about friendship and we're talking about relationships driven through the gospel, God, we ask and pray that we be people changed by you. As we gather together to worship this morning, that, that your love and your grace would fill our hearts and that it would flow out um, in, a, in a large fashion to others. We love you. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners I called. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Would you, church, sing this song with me? If God has not only been faithful to you, but he has been a friend to you. Let's sing this together.
thank you. We are so grateful for your goodness, for your intentionality, for your care. Lord, I can look back on my life and see all these intersections that you have created. Lord, you have caused to be. And I thank you so much for leading me so kindly and gently and loving us faithfully. We pray this in your name. Amen. Seat. Morning. I'm not over it yet, but I'm here nonetheless. Doing all right, everybody? Good. Um, if you think about it, in, in our world, in our culture, uh, especially the, the Western American culture, um, there is a type of relationship, a type of love that we esteem more than seemingly all the other ones. From a very young age, our Disney movies somewhat, uh, they somewhat build this kind of a foundation. And for most of our life, this foundation just gets built upon that there's a kind of relationship, a kind of love that's the most valuable. It's of the utmost importance. And that relationship is the relationship of romance, the relationship between lovers, finding your soulmate. And we have a whole genre of movie called the romantic comedy. I looked up top 10 romantic comedies, and literally Meg Ryan was in like five of them because that's just what she does, all right? And so this, this idea that we have to, we're trying to find our soulmate, that romance is the epitome of joy and life, and finding that, that one you can be in relationship with is, the, is so important. I mean, literally, we weave that idea into our comedies. If you think about it, the, the tension that was created in The Office and Friends, name the show, of will they get together or won't they, it sort of drives the undercurrent of the show. The comedy is fine, but it's the lovers and will they get together that often drives some of these shows that become really epic. By the way, there is one show that did not need to go to the gimmick of relying on relationship. It just relied on its comedy, and it's why it's the best show ever, all right? It just was funny. It didn't have to give you Ross and Rachel to keep your attention. It was just relying on its humor, and that's why it's the best comedy of all time. If you think about it, we have songs dedicated to what it's like to fall in love and what it's like to feel like being in love and how amazing it is to find your soulmate and how awesome romance is. Here's what's amazing. There are other types of relationships that we have, aren't there? And, and there's a particular kind of love, a particular kind of relationship that almost always in our culture falls to the back burner. And that kind of relationship is the love relationship between friends. Like, if you think about it, we almost never think about or analyze or talk about friendship. It's just something we almost take for granted. And if you think about it, when you think about celebrities, when you think about what's going on in culture out there, when you are walking into, uh, like, the, the checkout counter at the grocery store and you see all the tabloids, they're never talking about who's become friends with who. You know what it's always about? Who's sleeping with who? And who's in relationship? Who's getting divorced? It's always about romance and lovers and marriage. You never see who's friends with Beyonce now. Who's got a new best friend? Because we don't care. We never talk about friendship. And as I was processing and thinking about this, I thought, what movies have really ever been about friendship? And I came up with a handful of movies that are actually built on friendship that make the romance fall to the back burner. Uh, Lord of the Rings is, is essentially about Frodo and Sam and on their journey to delivering the ring, the ring to Mordor. Most prison movies will end up uh, highlighting of the friendship that arises between usually two characters. And then there's an entire genre of like this friend, stand by me, friendship that we have. I thought Sandlot is another good example, but there's romance in Sandlot too. Don't forget Wendy, Wendy Peppercorn. So there's romance in Sandlot as well, and what we want to do this morning is we want to look at friendship, and we, we never really think about it. And as we continue our gospel series, what we're going to try to do is we're looking at what happens when the gospel, the news about Jesus, hits a community and they start to live it out. And to do this, we're looking at First Thessalonians. We're going to do this all throughout the fall. And here's what I'm calling this: true friendship. And if you've noticed, as we've been, we've been reading this letter. It's intensely personal. Like Paul, Paul didn't sit down and write a systematic theology treatise here, a philosophy 101. It's very, very personal.
personal, this letter. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to look at friendship. Now, before we do that, just, just bear with me here. Take a moment. Go here with me. I don't want you to, I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I just want you to picture who are your deep and true friends. Who are they? Just picture them in your head. Where are they right now? Are they, are they in this state? They live in another state? Who are your true friends? And I mean, you can look at me again. Uh, who are those people? Why are those your true friends? And as we look at true friendship, as we look at what Paul is going to, I think, model for us, this is going to be our outline as we work forward here. So we're going to look at true friendship, its nature, its practice, and lastly, its source. What is true friendship? That's the first question. It's nature. How does it look? How do we build friendship? And lastly, what unlocks for us the, the power to be able to do this. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm relying heavily. When I was thinking about this idea, uh, my mind was drawn to C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Four Loves back in about 70 years ago. If you never read it, I highly recommend it, The Four Loves. And in this book, C.S. Lewis describes four kinds of relationships that all of us experience. There's the erotic relationship, or what we call now the, the, the relationship between lovers. And then there's the family relationship. The family relationship is rooted in the, the bond that mothers and daughters and grandparents have with their family. Then there's the civic relationship, what you, what you have with neighbors, society. And lastly, there's friendship. And what C.S. Lewis says in The Four Loves is, friendship love will almost always take a back seat to the other three. The other three will always encroach on friendship. And here's the thing. If you are right now in your like, late teens or early 20s, you're probably thinking, that's not true at all. Friendship is everything. I, my friends are who keeps me going, and that's who I spend my time with. Just give it a few years. Because marriage and then kids and society and job and all that stuff begins encroaching, and before long, you have to be really intentional to have real, true friendship. And some of you are like, yeah, that's, that's true. It's hard to, to find and sustain really good friendships. And I think Lewis is helpful in pointing out why. He says this in The Four Loves. I'm just going to quote a couple of things from him. He says, friendship is the least natural of the loves. It's the least instinctive, organic, biological. Here's the point. Romantic love, it's how babies get born. If you didn't know that. Uh, that's how babies get born. Family love rears those babies to be mature adults. Societal love, without that kind of relationship, chaos would ensue. We'd have anarchy. We have to have societal love, a common love for each other. And that means friendship gets pushed to the back burner. And he continues. He says, it has the least, friendship has the least commerce with our nerves. I love how he writes this. There's nothing throaty about it. Nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. That's why we don't write songs. You don't hear on the radio a song dedicated to my dear friend. Because there's nothing throaty about it. There's nothing romantic about it. So it always gets pushed to the back burner. And yet... The Bible will make a really big deal about friendship. You could do a friendship study just on the book of Proverbs. I'll give you one example right here. Notice what he said. We're gonna make, I'm going to make two observations about this verse in Proverbs. The first thing we see is, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. One of the things that the, the Proverbs will tell us is that you end up becoming the product of the people you surround yourself with. Now, there's an idea in America that goes something like this. You heard the idea? You are who you want to be. You're, you make yourself. You discover your own truth. You do you and let people, they, you do you, I'll do me. I'm going to be my own person. If you've never thought about it, that is total garbage. It's garbage in a lot of ways. But one reason that's garbage is this. As you grow up, for better or worse, you are the product of who your parents mold you to be, for the good and the bad, by the way. Growing up, you are who the people around you, the guardians or your parents, make you to be. And then once you get out of childhood, you know who you become a product of? Who you surround yourself, your friends. The Proverbs will make a huge deal about choosing rightly your friends and how you will come to ruin for choosing wrongly your friends. Now, I want to make a second observation about this particular passage. We have to make a distinction between companionship and friendship. And I think this is really crucial, and C.S. Lewis is going to draw this out heavily for us. See, we live in a world now where literally we are told who our friends are. Like we have an app that tells us who our friends are. 
It says, these are your friends. Like Facebook just says, these are your friends. And that can make us feel sometimes like, look, I've got all of these friends. And for some of us, we think, yeah, I've got, I've got dozens of friends. I've got great friendship. But I think what Proverbs 18 is going to give us is there's a difference between companionship or acquaintances or having a social network of people around us and true friendship. I'll let, I'll let Lewis make the point because he makes it better than I would. Look at what he says. Companionship is on the matrix of friendship. It's like friendship. It is often called friendship, and many people, when they speak of their friends, mean only their companions. But it is not friendship in the sense I give to the word. And he gets some really good insight here. Hear it. The typical expression of opening friendship. What is friendship built on? Some of you right now are like, I've never, even, I've never thought about friendship at all. This is really cool. Look at what he says. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what you two, I thought I was the only one. Here's the idea. Lovers are facing each other. And when you're in a relationship, when you're dating someone, if you can think back to that moment because they've been married, you're always looking and analyzing the relationship. You're in it for the other person and their relationship and how are we doing in our relationship. You, have, you define the relationship, you talk about the relationship. Friends, however, are not facing each other. They're facing some object that they both see and say, you love that too? A, a, an artist, a genre of music, a sports team, a sport, an idea, a political party, a religion, something like that. Friends see the same thing and say, you too, I thought I was the only one that loved that. That's where true friendship often arises. And if you've moved here or you've, you've graduated college and you find yourself feeling lonely, I think Lewis is giving us really helpful insight here in what it looks to build or found a friendship. He continues, these are his words, not mine. It's a little bit harsh. He says, that is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. This is really insightful. If you're looking to find friends, hear him. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth? Do you love that like me? Would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want you to be my friend. Then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So it's what founds our friendships. Now, what I want to do now is let Paul guide us in what it looks like to practice friendship. Here's the thing. I want to, I want to highlight this for all of us. True friendship is difficult. and It takes intentionality. And it's more than just my golfing buddies, my drinking buddies, the people that like the show that I, that I watch. It's deeper. It's more meaningful. And by the way, every single one of us desperately desires it. Like every one of us in this room, we want people that get us, that know us, they know our story, they know our past, they know our blind spots, they know our wounds, they know what we, they, they love what we love, they're in it with us. So what does it look like to be and forge and build true friendship? Paul's gonna guide us. Let's take a look here at 1 Thessalonians chapter three. But we're gonna do first, I wanna, I wanna give you a, a tour of the way that Paul speaks in this letter. And what you might find is, this ain't how a lot of us speak, especially American Southern dudes. You going here with me? Check this out. He says, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. When's the last time you thought about your friends and went, hey, bro, I'm, I'm like a nursing mother to you. It's how much I care for you. This language is weird, right? You hear this and you're like, you need to settle down a little bit. You're kind of making me feel weird. Check the next one out. Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you, orphaned, out of our intense longing, this word that's being translated for you as longing, it is the Greek word epithumia. Epithumia means an over-desire. It's an inflated desire. You know how this love is almost always translated? Lust. I had an over-desire just to see you. That's how much I love you. He continues, just giving you a little picture of how this guy talks. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your fate. He ends it by saying, hey, greet each other with a holy kiss. Just, just can I give you one observation? Paul 
is not some old, white-haired dude sitting in a library surrounded by scrolls and books writing theology, okay? When he's writing this, he's about 40. And look at the emotion. Look at the tenderness. Look at the vulnerability of this guy. You know one of the words that he loves to use when he talks about his friends in these churches? Beloved. Try that out this week. Hey, you gonna go to the Ole Miss game? Beloved. You going with me next week? Hey, what are you doing on Saturday morning? You wanna, hey, my, my beloved, I'd love to go golf with you. I mean, try it out this week. Just start, let's start talking to each other this way. You're like, your coworkers will be like, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but try it out. This is how vulnerable this guy is. And he's giving us a picture, I think, of what that looks like. He's not, by the way, the, the American tough, don't let people get too close. You know, hey, I don't want to get, he's not that. I think for a lot of us, we thought that's what a man is. I don't want to be vulnerable, especially guys in the room. I don't want to be vulnerable. Hey, we keep everybody kind of at an arm's length. Not, not Paul. I think he's modeling something for us. Now, I want to give us four lessons from Paul here about true friendship. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you all four here, then we'll work through them. So if, you're take, if you are taking notes, which I, I hope you would, uh, then if you are taking notes, we're going to work through them slowly so you can get to have them. Uh, so if you miss them right now, don't worry. Here they are. When you have a true friend, you are deeply concerned in your friend's pain. You are delighted in your friend's joy. You are dedicated to your friend's spiritual life and you're devoted to your friend in prayer. See that alliteration, by the way? That worked hard on that. Nobody cares, yeah. Um, so let's look at them. Four friendship lessons from Paul here. Let's take a look at it. At the end of chapter two, going into chapter three, he does what ancient Roman people frequently did in letter writing. He gives his travel log, what he's been doing in his travels. And in his travel log, it's interesting to note how much of Paul's travel is ultimately concerned about his friends. Look at this. He says, when we could stand it no longer, we, were, we had left Thessalonica. Remember, it was violent when Paul was there last. He got run out of town on a rail, and now here he is in Athens, and he's worried. He's nervous on behalf of his friends. And look at what he does. I could stand it no longer. We thought it best to be left by ourselves, and then... He takes his closest ally, his best friend, and he sends him to Thessalonica. I mean, no doubt Paul needed Timothy, but he says, go check on them. I would rather take personal loss because I know that they're experiencing something difficult and painful. He continues, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out this way, as you know. He's, he's fearful on their behalf. He knows that they're going through pain and opposition and trial. I mean, last time he was there, violent riot. And so he's deeply concerned for them, so much so to get involved at great cost to himself. Verse 5, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I had to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that your labors might have been in vain. The first principle I think we're learning from Paul is when you have a true friend, you're deeply concerned in your friend's pain. Now, hear me, this is more than just empathy. I can watch a news story and be empathetic for somebody I've never met. This is more than just empathy. This is, I can't be happy when my true friend is in pain. You got, you got a friend like this? You got a friend who, when you are in pain, it's like they're in it with you. They're not empathetic sitting on the other side going, I, I understand that that must be hard, or even sympathetic going, I can imagine how that would be. They hurt with you in the pain because they're in it with you. Uh, second principle, let's keep going. Verse six, he says, but Timothy came from Thessalonica and he came to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us you always have pleasant memories of us, that you long to see us as we long to see you. In all of our distress and persecution, you know what? We were encouraged. Pain, but man, we're floating because we heard good news about you. Look at verse eight. This is amazing. It says, for now we really live. That's the kind of thing in our culture we only reserve for when you find your soulmate, when you find that one. I'm, a, I'm alive now because I'm in love. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I live because my friend is standing firm. I'm floating because I heard good news about you. Our second principle will be this. You were delighted in your friend's joy. Now, can I just point out, when you have a true friend, 
You know that game that we all play where in our relationships, we're always, let's be honest, internally always trying to one-up the other person for honor and glory? And we don't ever say it out loud, but we are always doing that. When, they get, when this person gets something, we get a little bit envious. That's how you know you're doing that. You get a little jealous or a little envious when they get attention or they get the promotion or they get the laugh or whatever it may be. You know that game that we play? When you have a true friend, the game dies. You look at your true friend and that game is over. You celebrate their wins. They have a win and you go, I, it's like I'm winning. Do you have these kinds of friendships where that game is taken away? So what's the third principle? We sent Timothy, who's our brother and coworker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ. Now notice what he wants to do. He wants to strengthen and encourage their faith. Uh, encourage is a fine translation. Let me, let me give you the, the, the idea of this word. The Greek word is parakaleo. Kaleo means to call or to summon somebody. And para has to do with alongside. So it could be from my side or to my side. Here's the picture. Of, and I, I, we need to capture this in encouragement. Check this out. When, my, when I'm coaching uh, my son's soccer league, and I need to encourage him or one of the other players. You know what you do? And you've, some of you have been there. You, you say, come here, come here. And you pull them close to your side and you get down on their level. And you speak to them. Hey, come here, let me, I need to encourage you. That's the, the word picture of what this word is, parakaleo. Paul says, I, I'm deeply concerned about your faith. And I want to draw you close to strengthen and to encourage you, to lift you up. I've got an end goal in mind. He continues, verse 10. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply. It's katartizo is the Greek word. And, and this, this word means this, to take something that is not whole and make it whole. Something that was broken and repair it. Oftentimes it's translated as restore. To take something that's got some, some emptiness or some brokenness and to want to fix it. Paul says, there's some issues in you guys, Thessalonican church, and I desperately want to see you made whole. The very next chapter, he's going to start talking about their sexual ethic and what they've got going wrong. He's not afraid to step into that and point out their blind spots. So principle number three is this. You are dedicated to your friend's spiritual wholeness, dedicated to your friend's spiritual life. This takes time, and this takes intentionality, and this takes knowing your friend's weaknesses, knowing their sin struggles, knowing the things, the temptations that lead to them falling into that sin. This takes investment, and it's more than just, I golf with these guys on the weekend. These guys like to go drink with me. These guys are the guys I work with. These girls are the girls I work with. These girls watch the same show that I watch, and we Marco Polo about it. It's more. It's deeper. It takes intentionality. It takes time. It also means we have to get honest. You know there are blind spots, and you're willing to speak into it. I, I had some of our friends uh, over this week, my wife and I, another couple that is... There are true, some of our true friends. And uh, I asked them, what do you think the weakness of guys are in friendship? And very quickly, me and the other guy were like, I feel like we struggle in keeping things surfacy. Nothing really goes deep. We talk sports, we talk about politics, movies, but it, it, it doesn't go deep into the how, like, we don't get vulnerable very easily. And uh, I don't know if I'm the only one with that problem or my friends are the only one with that problem. Uh, I think men and women can struggle with that. And I asked them, what about, what about women? And uh, my wife was in there, and uh, the other mom was outside. Uh, we had a, like a blow-up on the trampoline, so she was fixing that, and she was going to come back in. So what Sarah, my wife, said was, she goes, you know, we talked about it for a minute ago. She goes, I can't think of one. Maybe we're just way better at being friends than guys. And I was like, oh, you've got to have something. She's like, I, I mean... I can't think, I wish we could be interactive right now. So I might ask you, what do you think it is? And the, the, the other wife came in and she said, I said, hey, what, what do you think about the answer to this? And she said, immediately, she went, uh, confrontation. We struggle to point out the hard things. And I went, you know what? Guys are barely any better. Can I give you an example in my life? Uh, this is me in college. 
about it. Uh, that's me in college with one of my really good, my, one of my true friends. His name is Van. And uh, we, we became really good friends in college. He's from Tennessee. He lives in Memphis now. And uh, this is a, just a, a picture of what I think being a true friend looks like. Um, there was a blind spot in my life. There was a, a sin pattern that was developing in my life, and I didn't think anybody knew about it. And I was a cell group leader, and I was leading worship here, and uh, I didn't think anybody knew. And he calls me, and he goes, hey, uh, let's, go, let's go grab some lunch. And he suggested at the time my favorite place, which was Jose's on Dixon. Remember Jose's on Dixon? It used to be, yeah. Uh, it's where JJ's is now. So we went down there, and uh, he knew I loved Jose's. We're, sitting, we're talking sports, and uh, he goes, hey, I want to talk to you. I said, okay, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, you don't know, but I know what you've been doing. And you know that, you know that it's wrong? I know that it's wrong. The staff at Fellowship would know that it's wrong if you told them. You wouldn't want your cell group guys to know. I said, okay. He said, here's the deal. It won't happen again, or I will lose respect for you as a man, as a follower of Jesus, and as a soon-to-be pastor. Put eight-letter chip. Now, he had the guts to not just confront me on something, a blind spot, but to do it in a way that I desperately needed. I needed him to come that strong. And when you have a true friend, you know not just that you need to point out the blind spot, but how to do it. This is difficult, isn't it? Uh, last principle, we might say. Notice how he closes this chapter. He closes in prayer. Verse 13, may the Lord strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. Our last principle that we're getting from Paul, I think, is this. When you have a true friend, you're devoted to your true friend in prayer. You're devoted to them in prayer. What kind of friend are you? I mean, I look at the list and I'm like, I'm not that great of a friend. What kind of friendships do you have? I recognize that in high school and college especially, it's kind of easy. But Proverbs would say your life will rise and fall often by how your friendships go. Are we modeling this? Is this what we look like? Here's what's crazy. Paul is saying all these things to this church in a Roman culture that was built on honor, shame. There was a, literally books written on how to choose your friends so that you could elevate your social status. You would never become friends with somebody lower than you in the social ladder. By the way, we do this in America a lot too, don't we? But in the Roman culture, it was codified. You only become friends with people that will move you up the ladder. It was an honor, shame kind of culture. And Paul's speaking to a group that is... Jew and Gentile, that's a mess. He's speaking to a group that's got slaves and free. He's speaking to a group that's being marginalized, persecuted, and ostracized from the community. This church will do nothing for Paul's honor. They're not gonna lift him up at all. And yet he's willing to give this much away. He's willing to be friends, even with this group. Why? Man, what could break through in Paul's life to be able to unite this kind of friendship? And you remember what C.S. Lewis said, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Hear it. When two people see Jesus and the message of the gospel and say, that's it, it can forge friendships from the most unlikely of places. In the first century world, Jew and Greek never hung out. I mean, it was violent at times. And yet, Slave and free, you would never sit at the same table as a free Roman with a slave. All sorts of tension between men and women. Does this not sound like America? And yet, in the church, here they come and eat together and love together and are vulnerable together. Why? They've seen something. They've experienced something. They've seen Jesus and say, that's it. And it can forge a friendship in the most unlikely of places. Here's how we close. Two minutes. What's the source? If you're like me, I, I look at that list and I go, I really want a friend like that. That's the kind of friend my soul needs, but 
I'm not that kind of friend, and look at my friends, and oftentimes we're not that. What's the source to unlock this kind of friendship? And as always, we, 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 got, a, we got an end here. I want you just to see this amazing idea. Jesus, on his last night before he'll be crucified, he's literally hours from being arrested and then beaten and flogged and nailed to a cross. And what did he do? He got his friends together. And in that meal, he was instructing them on what it looks like to love him faithfully. And in the context of that meal, he said these words. And I think this is the source to unlock true friendship. See it. It says, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, what unlocks it? Look at verse 15. If we get this, it'll set us free to be the kind of friend that we all need, that our city needs, that our country needs, that our world needs. We, I no longer call you servants. The Greek word is doulos, slaves. I don't call you slaves because a slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friend. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. When we understand the message of the gospel, that Jesus took the place of outcast, Jesus took our place as enemy, Jesus took our place out there, he became nothing, slave, so that you and I could be brought in as friends of God. When that when that picture of the gospel sinks into our heart, into our mind, into our heart, it begins to affect how we live. And now we have the friendship that we need, the vulnerability that we need, the openness that we need, the love that we truly need. It's found in him. And it sets us free to go and love others likewise. If you've got true friends, call them this week and tell them. Be vulnerable. If you want to make some friends, that's what, one of the things we want to do as a church is help you get connected to community, but we want to celebrate this, and so I'm going to invite you right now, would you stand, and we want to celebrate that we have all that we need in him, that we belong to him, that he satisfies the desperate need of our heart, he satisfied the, the cry of our mind, and in him, we have the love that we desperately need, and now we can pour that out to our people and in our city. He's the reason, he's the friend that we need, and he's the reason that we can love recklessly, we can love faithfully, just like Paul did. So let's sing and declare together.
you to go find a friend and maybe like pray with them, but we can't touch each other and stuff right now. So uh, we have to be socially distanced. And and uh, so I want you to think of a friend, someone who's been a true friend for you. Hold that person in your mind. Maybe they moved in when you were in pain. They didn't move away from your pain, but they moved toward your pain. Maybe they were there when you were suffering and hurting. Maybe they shared a common vision for um, what Jesus has done for us. That person who's a true friend, I want you to hold them in your mind and heart. And I don't know about you, but I haven't been able to see my friends as much as I would like because of COVID. Uh, not all of them live here in, in Northwest Arkansas. So I want you to, to think about this. This is Paul's prayer for himself and for the Thessalonican church. So I want you to hold a friend, hold your community group, hold somebody in mind, and let's just pray this together. So let's pray. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness for our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, if you'd like to pray with somebody, our prayer room is open. We have communion as well. You can exit through these doors uh, and, and find the prayer room right there. Uh, if you'd like to come next week, be sure and reserve a space online. We're so glad that you guys are here.